All right, it is 531. We're going to go ahead and get started. We heard from uh, one person or two that we can make it this evening and we'll watch a recording and um, other people proceed to join us. They will. Um, as we get through this, I have a couple housekeeping items for the hybrid meeting. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Please remember to Oh, it's not being broadcast, it's recorded. This one is posted 24 to 48 hours after the meeting. Um, people could register for the Zoom to participate in the live meeting if they chose to do so. Um, well, remember to mute yourself when you're not, not speaking and the chat function for this meeting is disabled and all chats will directly go to me as the host. And unless you're participating, which all of you, if there was other people not membership, uh, turn their video off. Um, and allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen, which you all are. Uh, we reserve the right to mute people or turn off individual videos to minimize distraction. And now we will go ahead and take an opportunity. I'm gonna go quickly through introductions um, because for our first item on the agenda this evening, we have with us Mark Warner, our consultant um, from Warner Transportation Consulting. And he's gonna share um, some work with you, but I would like if you could introduce yourself and who you represent on the committee, I think that would be helpful for him to understand who's in the room and who he's presenting to. We'll let uh, Pat, Dot, and David online go in that order, if that's okay. And then we'll do everybody in the room. Sure, hi, I'm Pat Collette and I'm uh representing uh, the Multimodal Transportation Commission. Hi, I'm Dot Neri, and I'm representing uh, Live Well Douglas County. And I am David Carter. I'm a city appointee. I'm a city appointee on the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. I'm Charlie Thomas on the Planning Commission, a county appointee. Ed Jankowski, I represent the city of Eudora. So that's who we have with us this evening, Mark. Um, before we get to that item on the agenda, we have meeting notes where we have posted meeting notes from the November 15th meeting um, for your information. Um, and then we'll get right into our travel demand model, um, which we anxiously plan. Uh, if you had a chance to look at this before today, um, you probably saw a PowerPoint. Mark's going to present something that we have updated today based on our continued evolution of our travel demand modeling process. Mark, would you like me to share a screen or would you like to share a screen? Well, I can bring it up here. Uh, so, I, you know, I guess that works. Um, yeah, you, you can introduce this and this topic. Travel demand modeling is part of our federally required process for our uh, travel demand or for our uh, transportation plan update. And so we brought on Mark to do the technical work of this. Uh, it exceeds some of the capacity we have at our MPO to do. And so um, Mark has been busy working with us um, over the last few months and we'll continue to until we get this project done. So um, I'll let him take it away. And um, I believe we can He's got a lot to present, um, and if you have stop him any time, if you want, if you have questions, raise your hand, and we'll uh, make sure that he sees that, so we can get any of your questions you have answered as we go through this. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you, Jessica. Uh, share. Okay, I see how that works. Okay. Now, full screen. Screen. Uh, home. Hang on. Just let me get this up to the full screen. I take it view full screen. Full screen. 
haven't done this in a while here. Let's see, how do we get the, how do we get the full screen up there? Maybe I should have left it to you. I know, if you go all the way to the bottom down by the percent bar, the little <laughs> icon that looks like a screen next to the plus or minus bar on the right. Oh, look at that. Okay, am I not right, showing the, the screen right yet? Icon is a full, the full right icon is a presentation icon. You're not, what do you don't see the uh, PowerPoint? No, yeah, we but, see the PowerPoint. I'm telling you how to get to it in presentation mode is the, the icon on the far bottom right next to the plus or minus bar on, in your, on your screen. Yeah, it's just to the left of the minus sign at the bottom. Left to the left of the minus sign. There's no minus sign or plus sign. <laughs> I have no idea this. I've done this so many times. Let's see. Slideshow? Really? There's no. From here. Let's do it from here. Well, what do you think about that? Home. Let's go back here now. Insert view. Slideshow. Why is the slideshow? From beginning. There we go. There we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. So Jessica described this as being. Uh, you know, this is a travel demand model and the travel demand models work. They essentially, they break down systematically all of the travel processes by individuals in a metropolitan area as a way of replicating the existing flows uh, to match the existing counts. And once we have a, a fair match to those counts, then we can use those uh, parameters and formulas in place to then apply it to the roadway in the future and the land use in the future, the population, the jobs, uh, the you know, University of Kansas uh, enrollment, uh, and all of the other elements, you know, where those activities are going to be. Now, what I mean by breaking it down systematically, it asks questions like, well, why are people traveling? What purposes? Uh, are they doing it as part of their commute to get to school? Are they recreational purposes, going to shop or visit friends or medical? And then where would they begin their trips? Usually at their homes, but sometimes their college dormitories. There are hotel rooms in here as well. And sometimes you'll have trips that start from businesses. Uh, truck trips, for example, would be in there. There are also trips that are just passing through the region coming in on, the, on one side of I-70 going out on US-59 and the other side of Douglas County or in K-10. So those are through travel, which is gonna be represented here as well. Where are these trips headed? Well, they're going from their homes, going either to their work sites, stores and restaurants, uh, medical facilities over to KU or Haskell or Baker University uh, or other activity centers. And then what mode would they take? This is an update of a model that uh, Lawrence Douglas County had in 2015. It now also has a mode choice. Uh, uh, Pat, I see that you're the multimodal person in here. Well, this model now does have a multimodal feature. So it does introduce, it no longer looks at just vehicle trips, but actual person trips and then divides those trips by those going by, by automobile uh, or with various vehicle occupancy rates or by foot or by bicycle or by transit. So the full transit network is in here. And the model is also able to go and look at uh, the, the changing transit network. Uh, Lawrence Transit System is gonna be introducing a new, a new hub system, some new route alignments, and you can use the model to go and test that. I've already done that. And so then it's also what would, how would motorists go and determine what route they would take for the vast majority of trips, not immediately uh, in walking distance. There is, uh, people are gonna be taking it in their car, but then are they gonna be going on 23rd Street or 19th? Are they gonna go on to you know, K-10 or, 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 or what road would they be taking through town in Iowa? And this is something which is a, a function of the speeds, the free flow speeds, as well as the level of congestion on the different roads. 
Since more vehicles get on the roads, it adds to congestion, which slows down the speed. And so then people will go and know that after a while, and they'll break it down to go to a different route. The model uses 24 different hourly assignments. So it breaks all that down. And we know from experiences elsewhere, what is the distribution of trips from home to school or to work, and then going back to them later on. So it's very methodical, it's systematic, and it really is the best type of tool for being able to account for transportation system changes. So, uh, that's a, an overview. The model does take into account that the roadway structure, population, employment, uh, lodging, college uh, enrollment, uh, the full highway network. Um, and then there are, then it, there's a series of feedback loops to make sure that it is something that, that finally comes and settles down. So I'm open for any questions if you have it along the way, but let me just describe a little bit more about what this particular model is doing. Uh, the calibration is to pre-COVID conditions with the hope that, you know, Florence, Kansas and, uh, and Douglas County and everywhere else will return to post-COVID conditions uh, eventually. And that that will be the one that you want to go and replicate. So it looks at the full year 2019. The model is a weekday model. So it's looking primarily at just those travel factors. And that's what is based on the average daily, daily traffic. As I mentioned, it is an hourly forecast that can be aggregated up to the daily numbers. And it looks at traffic volumes. It's able to work with traffic volumes to replicate that, to look at volume capacity ratios for different roads. And the select link analysis just refers to being able to see, OK, on this road, where in fact is our, our traffic, uh, where are vehicles or individuals coming from, and where are they going? Um, the one thing I forgot to mention, too, is that it, it breaks down the region into essentially small neighborhoods, transportation analysis zones. So within the, really the more settled, urbanized, denser parts of, of the city of Lawrence, they'll be very tiny, um, you know, one block within the downtown. Uh, and then it gets bigger as you get into different neighborhoods where the, the relative land uses are very similar or out into the county. There'll be small, higher density as well for, uh, for uh, Baldwin City and for Eudora um, and the Compton. The model is also sensitive to all these different transportation system changes. And the idea is that once you've got a model that's able to go and match the base here, the 2019 conditions, then you can apply those formulas to whatever you throw at it in the future. So this is where you can put in a new transit system, you can widen the road, you can put in a center turn lane, and you can change the population, you can change the different types of, uh, of, of types of employment, where they're going to be. Um, you know, healthcare, it's all broken down by sort of functional activity of that work site or whatever the work site is. And it's, a, it's you've got that and it's a, set up in a way which allows for ease of use. Um, the model is consistent with industry standards and with professional integrity. And this is what you want to do. There are various characteristics that define whether the model does go and meet all these things, but that is how this model has been designed. So it is appropriate for a small metropolitan area, a medium-sized metropolitan area, uh, such as Douglas County. Um, and it uses appropriate parameters or local data wherever that was available. The model breaks the region down into these 442 transportation analysis zones. And then there are additional 
additional spots around the perimeter, which is where the roads come into the county that would be uh, for through traffic. And for people who are working in, who are living in Lawrence and gonna be working out at the Panasonic site or going down into Overland Park or Topeka. Uh, so you have all of these where it goes, people can go in and out and the model does capture all of these effects. I've been working with David Cronister at Kansas DOT, wherever there are some things outside the model. One of the particular things is, David, what, what's Kansas DOT estimating for through traffic on I-70 in 2050? That's outside the model's parameters, but it is something that affects travel flow here. So, so this is something that the parameters here are consistent with what he's got too. In setting up the population, it looks at population characteristics at the block level uh, from the census. There were some issues with the city of Lawrence where they questioned whether the 2020 census was in fact a fair count. It was during COVID. There are a lot of people who were attending can, you know, KU. So was it fair? Their conclusion and the census department, the census bureau has not refuted it, is that it was not. So that has been the basis that I've used were the numbers that they used for 2019, um, you know, with their with the city of Lawrence's estimates, and then there were some adjustments elsewhere, mostly on the uh, employment side. A lot of times, you have cases where all the employment for a city is at city hall or at the school department office, rather than at the individual schools or work sites. KU had this. All of their all of their all of their employment was at one spot, which actually wasn't even at KU according to quarterly workforce indicators. So it had to be moved back to the actual uh, locations of those buildings. Um, so adjustments, I, I mentioned your adjustments for KU. There were other issues too. You have a couple of Walmarts and Lawrence. The, they weren't split properly in terms of those breakout. And the LPS is Lawrence Public Schools, as I mentioned, breaking those out. So this is the seven trip purposes. Um, again, the whole idea of this is that it, it, you break it down. You're, you're looking at 130,000 people within a county, uh, 118,000 now, and you know going up. But where are they going to go? You know, having trying to understand the travel flows of all of those people plus the through traffic, it's it would be, you know, it seems like an impossible decision a way to go and identify and replicate all of those individual decision makers. This is the thing. You keep on breaking it down, and you use you use uh, local data and uh, known estimates of, of travel patterns. You know the number of trips people take, the trip length distribution, the intervening opportunities, and you come up with all these different pieces. This is an example of the the types of trips that the model replicates distinctly. You can see those, um, and this is you know I'll, I'll show you this. This is where. Looking at the validation, the red is predicted by the model, the green is the observed count. And if we look at it, so this is the full Douglas County here. And if we look at it, so what you want is you want to see these red, the red bars are a good replicant, are, are able to adequately represent uh, or replicate the, the green observed counts. Um, so, and this is looking at it within just with the, within K10, the city of Lawrence. And if we look at this, the observed versus predicted volumes here, this is the Federal Highway Administration has a guideline there where these should match, the predicted should match the observed at a, the, this is an R squared of 0.88. Here it's a 0.913, which is closer to one, which would be a perfect match. 
So again, these are things where you'll be, it's one thing, it's funny too, because I was just looking at this, speaking with this uh, Jessica and Kyle today, there were a couple of things where I couldn't figure out, why are some roads higher? And this is, if you can see here, you can see my cursor. This is, this is Fambro that goes around the stadium is over here. This is Jayhawk and the little service road right here. Not the service road, but a lot of parking on this road. But the model is also able to replicate that Jayhawk is closed, everything but buses from 8 a.m. till 5. So that's in the model as well. But this one, I kept getting more traffic. And it was only today when I looked at the, when I looked finally, I haven't made a trip out to uh, Lawrence yet, but when I finally went and looked at the, the topographic map and I saw this is a great big hill going up here. That's why you have fewer cars going on that road. And the model, I didn't capture that. The earlier model didn't capture that either, but it does do area factors where you pick up the central business district, you pick up the, you pick up the, the level of, of uh, issues of traffic lights and the density and cars parked on the side. But what should be in here, which I didn't realize was essential because I was using my stereotype of flat Kansas, was that um, you got some serious hills here and that is affecting your travel flow. So in the next iteration, the next time you see this, uh, I will go back and I will account for that, put in those factors. And I think that, that, was, a, that was a factor I was missing because the model kept saying, no, this is where this traffic will go. No, it doesn't. Observers predicted. And this is where it looks at breaking out functional class. These targets are general goals that Federal Highway Administration likes to see for these types of models. So plus or minus 7% for the interstate or 7% for other highways in the region. This is all getting that. Major arterials. Again, this is plus or minus. So for the totals here too. And these are all within those. Overall, for the 205 counts, I think is what it is, the model is, uh, is within 1% of the predicted, of the observed. Or 202 counts right there. Uh, and this is a root mean squared error, which is another way of looking at the individual error. I, I'm just presenting these as a way of providing uh, some, some evidence that the model does uh, calibrate well, that it is consistent with, uh, with industry standards for this. And again, it is done with a, a, with a particular care of making sure that these different pieces are picked up here. But this is the thing, you can take these 130,000 individual decision makers and you can run these models and they it's it's kind of a miracle sometimes but they work very well um so these are things which is another indication of that the function these are other functions these are local roads which are are harder to go and uh account for adequately you know with real precision and federal have administration understands that so looking at the so that was really where once we have an adequate current year model we then can use those formulas and we change some of the characteristics of the transportation network or of the land use, and then say, what is the effect? So these are some of the uh, future transportation changes that um, are part of uh, the county's committed projects right now, looking out to 2050. The long range transportation plan typically looks out to 25 years. So the next one would be looking out to uh, 2050. Um, or 20 up to 30 years. And so this is now the interchange at, at K10 and I-70 changes. A big change is looking at widening and uh, dividing uh, K10 um, around. So this his piece here, this is all currently single lane in each direction up to US 59. 
Uh, and then, you know, small things in the center turn lane, there's an additional center turn lane on US 56 by Baldwin City. This whole setup here and these roads out here uh, would be new as well. So, and then use also the interchange out here, this changes as well to where you're crossing, um, uh, what was it, 1400 road over here to the connection over here. Uh, and I think those were the key, those were the key changes. Um, okay, so here actually, this is looking also as well. This is the coding of this. The, the interchange at Wakarusa, this connects onto existing roads, but this old interchange, which doesn't really show up here, is removed. The divided highway, US 40 and K10, the new entrance the, from the highway, and then there's a new entrance going from the southbound lanes and back onto it. And that this road would now extend down um, to North 1200 Road. So this is looking also at uh, forecast for population and employment. I mentioned again that we started not with the census data from 2020 or the American Community Survey estimates for 2019, but really with the adjusted numbers for the city of Lawrence that they had had, their number was 102,980. And you can break that down, population households, students and dormitories, other group quarters, uh, and total, this is not, this is occupied households. Um, so you have some vacant households as well, but this is the number of that the city of Lawrence is using. And then this is looking out to the county as well. So uh, no, that's that's city of Lawrence going out to 2050. This is the county over here. So this includes all of these. So for a total population of 127,000 in 2019. Um, so this is a uh, woods and pool was the basis for the future forecast of population. This is essentially, um, it's actually a modified wisdom pool because it also works with the new base for the city of Lawrence and what was uh, in there for the county, how that affects the county as well. But um, Woodson pool essentially works from, you know, the full United States and then says, based on the population characteristics in terms of people who are currently age five, and what is the mortality rate and age six and age seven going up to age 100? What is the mortality rate for each of those people? And it breaks it down by part of the country, uh, by ethnicity. So it has an understanding from actuarial tables of who's likely to be alive, what are the number of people who are being born with recognizing all of these demographic differences. And then you have in-migration, out-migration. So you come up with a national total, and then that gets divided by the state and ultimately down to each individual county. So Woods and Pool is a reliable source. It's been around for a long time. It's a good way of, it's a good estimate there too. There we're looking at an increase of about 30,000 people for the county as a whole between 2019 and 2050. So then I, I applied that number for the population and then had to make some other assumptions about, well, what is what does KU say is going to be their their dormitories, you know, during that time after the future, and then they also have an economic breakout, and so that was also working with that and working backwards, back to uh, individual to the city of Lawrence, uh, and each one of those other translation analysis zones was a way of providing the background information. So this is the distribution again. This was now. This is one scenario, and this is looking at the change in population. So you see the outside, uh, uh, and this was also looking too at 
some of the information that was available. Um, I, let's see, I, I know that there was, um, uh, for, for instance, in Eudora, you had that star bond project, which right over here, what the proposed growth was going to be over here. And then in the city of Lawrence, this would be new annexed area, recognizing what is gonna be the utility expansion, uh, what's available in terms of some vacant land, where are current, uh, where are current uses, um, what, what seems to be a growth range. But this is really one of the, on, this is one of the questions I, I suppose for, for this group uh, and the beginning of the process there too. This is one scenario. Again, the model can test any other scenario. So if there's, if you have a sense that there's going to be densification, you know, a, a higher building allowance within the city of Lawrence, then some of that expected population growth that would be on the west side of K10 would now be within the more central area. Uh, oh, so this is the same thing, just looking at it. Well, that should be city of Lawrence. Mark, if I can interrupt you real quick. So yeah, this sure. is generally historically has always been prepared within those traffic analysis zones that these projections are done in partnership with our uh, planning office. And so Jeff Crick and uh, planning staff um, as you know, planning director um, are involved in the development of these projections based on growth tiers and plan 2040. Also recognizing that this year, which goes out to 2050, expands beyond um, just the, the, the plan growth, you know, primarily within tier two, but into tier three, since it goes out another decade past that. And so this, um, we got some questions from uh, Multimodal Transportation Commission when we shared this with them. And I think it's a good question. And I just want to point it out that um, this is based on the current assumptions we have about land use planning. Um, we know, we recognize there's ongoing conversations um, with land development code update about uh, densification and what does that look like? And so um, as Mark was talking about, this is kind of that remaining question about whether is there another scenario we want to look at in terms of impacts um, if, it, if it didn't happen in that Western area and if instead it happened within the current kind of limits of K-10. And so we don't have all of that tonight, but as we finish up this conversation, you'll kind of see Mark is in the process of working on some of that based on what we believe is going to be conversation that that steering committee for the land development could update. They have a meeting on Thursday. And so you can see we're kind of working their schedules behind ours, you know, in terms of if we would have had all that first, we would have uh, made some of those assumptions maybe differently as we've been working on this over the last month. But um, we still have a very small amount of time where I think we can be able to pull that off and be able to show that as a reality of the converse to add to the conversation. Right. Well, that's a good point. Okay, thanks, Jessica. Um, and this is looking at the expected change of employment uh, from, you know, going out to 2050 as well. Again, from the base year of 2019. So basic would be manufacturing, um, utility work, uh, warehousing, um, so and and mining and farming for the within the county really. So that would be part of that. And this is really just showing that sort of more central, uh, more settled part of the county. Um, and red is the retail, the orange is the healthcare, and the education, broke education, non college and college are divided out there. And then the other, which is that's a lot of public em employment. So that's also would be research uh, work uh, or so other services that would be part of that. Um, so this shows where, again, one scenario, there may be opportunities to go and refine that 
or test some others? So again, this is based on um, the planned commercial and industrial locations in Plan 2040, as well as known proposals for development. So you can see the recent KU conversations are shown in here. Mark, if you go to the next slide and look at the county, a lot of the things related to uh, the proposals for Eudora are shown there in terms of um, the projected increase in employment for those areas. Right. So that can, uh, again, there's room to change. Um, oops, change in population. Okay, that was a, that was a double. But anyway, when you take all of these, this is really gets to the point of the model. So all of those land use changes that uh, were evident in those earlier slides and the transportation changes. Oh wait, this is looking at, uh, whoa, wait a minute, what does it say up at the top? I gotta move your, all of you, <laughs> hang on. Four to five. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is 20, wait a minute, 2050 flow with no road change. Well, let's start with this one. Um, so this is looking at, at base year, eight to nine. Hang on, what happened? If no road changes, 153. Did I pull up the right one? 153 and 156, 156, that's the one with committed projects. Let me just go through here. Yeah, 155, 156, on current roads, on committed roads. Yeah, okay. Um, let me just see base year flow. Okay, so this is where, again, as I mentioned that the model can show looks at uh, each individual hour. This is where I just took 4 to 5 p.m., which is typically the most congested hour, uh, the busiest hour in, in a metropolitan area. And this is looking at the level of service. Uh, so those things that move closer to red are worse conditions. This, R, this yellow is already level of service D. Level of service is a sort of a measure of the, the level of congestion or the sort of the the degree to which individual cars affect the overall flow. When the level of service A means it's it's essentially free flow conditions. You're the only person on the road, or the you know nobody else is really interfering with you going whatever speed you want. And as you get towards level of service F, it's bumper to bumper. You know nobody's going anywhere. So typically you uh, you know there's not a, a great deal of, of traffic congestion um, in in Douglas County, but this is one. Um, where, well, based on the model, this is uh, this is where it's coming up there at 4 p.m. Uh, so there would be some crowding there. There are a couple of things where that may still need to get a little bit of fine tuning. I'm in an earlier conversation with Kyle and Jessica this morning or this afternoon. I noticed that the ramp I have here, this is between 23rd Street and K10. I think I've got the wrong functional classification for that. So I have to go and make some changes to that. But uh, this is just another say of weighing, another way of where the model is right now. Um, and then this is with those committed projects. So you can see where things change. This actually gets better because here's where the state has widened and put on a second lane in each direction on K10 and divided it. Um, this interchange, and you also have, you can see these new roads down here are coming in as well. 
This is now a different, uh, the interchange changes up here, whoops. And right now these, Kansas DOT is forecasting a, a large increase in through traffic coming from the west on I-70, going out to the east on I-70 and to the east on K-10. So that traffic that comes down here would be coming out in here, going down here and out this way. A little smaller share goes down US-59. But if this is, it's also suggesting here that while these roads, there would be a free tolling system going out to going out into the future, but it would still, the model is suggesting that, look, this one lane, one lane ramp is, is not gonna be enough. The, the Kansas DOT, while they're considering whether well, planning to make their construction, perhaps they are, I will check with David Croster about this, but, uh, or somebody else at KDOT, um, this is, yeah, this, the amount of traffic you have flowing through here, four to 5 p.m. is gonna be, you're gonna have a serious congestion. So this is, again, looking back here, because of a great deal of growth that additional 30,000 people in the region and where the expectation was of the development, it is adding to worsening conditions, but you know, not, not wildly serious, not where the whole city lights up. Um, oh, and this is another instance too, however, if you hadn't made any of those committed projects, well, then it would be a mess. <laughs> so K10 in particular would, would not be uh, would be failing. This also is this schematic map is only showing the larger roads, the collectors and arterials and, and, and highways, and a few local roads that um, that function really as serving more than just an individual neighborhood. Uh, but where this traffic comes here, this is because this is still listed. You're having so much growth here on the western side of K10 that if if that were to develop, you're having problems coming across at Wakarusa and coming across here at, at West Sixth Street, in particular. Um, that's one with no. If you didn't put in those those particular changes, and this is looking that was four to five. This is now in the morning, and you can see some of it here. You can see this one. The traffic four to five. It was going. Eastbound, and now it's in the morning. It's more going westbound this way into Lawrence. So it's not as bad as eight to nine. This is with the changes, and uh, if you didn't, if you didn't widen K10, yeah, this would be a problem. And again, this equilibrates. So even this doesn't mean that all the traffic that was scheduled to go on K10 from I-70 going out to Johnson County was going to was would necessarily take take this route would necessarily take K10. A lot of this traffic, recognizing this heavy congestion slowing down, will go different routes. They'll they'll equilibrate. They will they will go out here. We'll go down McDonald's or or um, you know getting off in uh, in downtown. So and before going out to the rest of the county. So it does recognize that. Looking at level of service. This small red spot here has to do with uh, this is this is Barker and 19th, I think, right here. This is there's a, a traffic rotary here that um, according to this it, it picks up. That's that's a little bit of a, according to this has some problems. This over here is right by this is the extension of Bob Billings, and this is where you do have uh, it deliberately goes and lowers a lane right into the campus. So um, this is and this is showing, by the way, the size of the pie represents the hours 
over the course of the day at level of service D, E, or F. So the yellow is level of service D, the orange is the level of service E, and a little bit of red here is the level of service F. But that would be just for one hour is what that's showing here. Um, and this is, oh, this is with the committed roads. Again, you have an increase in population of 30,000 people. So it's a worsening situation. This, by the way, this big circle here is not K10. This is actually on 1400 road. This is out to the west of it. This is because you have all this development here, but it's still, it, it wasn't, there wasn't any committed change, but I suspect it, it will be as part of that intersection change. It's right now, it's just a, a gravel county road. Um, and with all the projected development, it is going to have to take some increase in, in traffic capacity or else it will just, you know, you don't have enough crossings of K-10. And so uh, this is, that particular spot is what that's showing that's not on K-10. This is highlighting that need for a widened ramp. This is not on I-70, it's the ramp uh, with the route, with the new design. And then you have some changes here, you know, at McDonald, uh, this is, Again, that same spot in the center of the county. This will have to check the ramp on that. But those are where, and this is again, if you if you had all the 2050 population, all of the land use, but you didn't make any changes to the current roads, it's, you know, that's where, so this is where it is. That's where the expectation with the committed plans. And this is where you're starting to see, you know, K-10 continues to be a, a you know, worsening problem. Oh, this is just the transit flow here. So this is now with the, um, I think this was with, it doesn't show in the, in the key here, but I think this is a 2050 plan looking at the 2023. So the, the 2023, this is taking the transit service as proposed now by Lawrence Transit System where this, you know, putting, the realigning certain routes, um, changing the little bit of, of the hub and orientation. And this is looking at it just the, the thickness here indicates, you know, the, the flow over the course of a day. So, the sensor went off. Moving it up. Yeah, transit is allowed here on Jayhawk uh, throughout the day too. So, um, this is what I've laid out just as next steps. Uh, I will be producing a full methodology report and user's guide. And again, this is an iterative process. Uh, you know, working with. You know, as uh, I'll be able to set up any scenario here and to test alternatives, you know, the densification is one, other types of transportation uh, improvements that you may be suggesting, and then where those would go if you say, well, you know, maybe this is going to have, uh, I'm, you know, if we change, if you make it, it denser within the city, there's going to be less activity out in the, the west side of K-10. Um, so how that, how that would work out there. Uh, maybe Eudora is going to imagine that they will get more of the development of uh, more of the housing as Sunflower expands, uh, you know, it gets redeveloped with the, with the Panasonic. So you can make certain tests there too, but it would still be within those control totals of, you know, whatever, 152,000 people for Douglas County. Um, so that's, and let me see, let me pull that here. Oh, ongoing model runs and support after that too, but, but that's it. That's, so uh, let me come back here. So back. So that, that gives an indication of it. Um, and if you have any questions about the modeling process uh, or the types of parameters that would be important for going, 
for establishing what would be a future land use um, or highlighting where some changes might be needed in the transportation system. Um, you know, I can, I'll try to answer your questions, but that's how it works. Uh, I, uh, he mentioned that the the took into account the the uh, the star uh, yes. development there in Eudora and the development that's going to happen here in in Lawrence. Is is there has anybody taken a stab at trying to plug into this? What impact the Panasonic plan is going to have on this? Yes. So those assumptions in the employ in the both employment and also in the housing take into account the zones, those traffic analysis zones. And that's why where you, if you look at the map early on where you see Eudora, there is a lot more growth than we would have ever projected there prior to that announcement. Okay. And so, yeah, we worked with on our staff advisor team, um, city manager's office in, in Eudora, and we have um, participation from the Lawrence Douglas County Planning Office, who's in conversations with the chamber and economic development about some of those assumptions. We feel like the assumptions we put in there are probably conservative high for, for those assumptions. Of course, the conversation I think we're having even as we go on even this week is changing about Okay, this is a guess. That's right. right. These are all guesses. There's a lot of assumptions in this model. And we're taking our best guess and looking at, and then we're going to develop a couple more scenarios too, based on what we're seeing. And you can tell probably from how Mark talks, we're like, a lot of these things, it's like, we realize this, or we ask this, and we're starting to see stuff as you see output, it adds more questions to the list, right? Is why is this this way? Why is this segment showing as, as this? And then it's like, oh, well, this is coded this way, or this is this. And understanding how those trips decisions are being made in the model allows to, you know, you could see in the numbers of runs, he's over 146 runs. So um, Mark has done his due diligence in working with us to continue to evolve and make those changes. So we can feel as confident as we possibly can in the model scenarios that we get, because this model, the way this model is used in the, in the short term is we have we have identified on the agenda, you probably saw the list of committed projects. Most of those are already projects that are committed in CIPs or in the state transportation program. This model is hoping to get us out. Okay, that's a really five-year range, right? So it's in band, those first near-term bands of, of the plan. But we're trying to identify issues early on based on the assumptions that we have going on when we do this type of work. What other issues are going to come up? Because those are some of those are million-dollar projects. And you want to get into a situation where not... They, those aren't not on your radar because that model feeds information then. So like the sixth street conversation, if we recognize that annexations were anticipated for west of sixth street or west of K-10 off, off of sixth street, US 40, then the conversation with KDOT needs to be working together with them as part of US 40 to identify what that Western development plan says, identify what other corridor planning needs to be done to add capacity through safety improvements to that way. Um, and so it drives many of those conversations where in the near term, we may say, oh, there needs to be a future project here. That's what we would identify in the plan. Whether or not it has committed funding or not, we make that determination with staff advisors as we go through the process, right? Based on what we think is available money. But it also puts, it allows us to build a list that's called our illustrative list, which is barring 
uh, available funding, like, uh, you know, when federal resources fall in your lap, these are projects we need to have on our list that we've identified that we need to be planning for or thinking about over the next five-year range. So when we get to the next plan, we have money committed for some of those projects. And some of that happens through a, a, a local process. Some of that happens through a statewide planning process. Um, but this planning allows us to do a lot better job of understanding the assumptions that are being made. We're kind of in a bad timing in the sense that, you know, we do this every five years, which means we're going to adopt this plan in three and a half years. We're going to start again and do this again. And there's some the assumptions may have changed. And, and I, I would say, honestly, probably the assumptions are changing right now as we speak, as we're trying to do this, as the conversation is going on around the land development code update, particularly for city of Lawrence and Douglas Town. So for that sense, we're trying to make that adjustment to do the best job we can. Does that mean we may not have, we may have to amend the plan after we adopt it? Yes. We may have to. There may be many things in the plan that we get to, and there's for some reason something that we had assumed is wrong, whether or not it warrants us getting funding for it or not, and if we have to redo it versus if we can wait until we do the next plan. We work through those things as we come to them. So hopefully that answered your question. So the burning question for me is, where do you live? Me? Yeah. Northampton, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old flat Kansas, huh? <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, western part might be flat, but yeah. Lawrence, Lawrence eastern part is not flat. No, I, I knew that from Flint Hills as well, but I just... Uh, yeah. I, I should have known better than just to go with my preconceived uh, notions. <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, David here, I think this is a really um, impressive and comprehensive analysis. I really thank you for this. One thing I'm curious about is in your scenarios of uh, proposed projects versus, you know, being completed versus not completed. I'm curious, is that a binary uh, presentation or do you look at uh, different kinds of scenarios of one particular project being approved, but others not, and what the what the what the push and pull effects are on the rest of the of the network. Yeah. Do you want me to answer that, Mark? To start. Well, I think so. I mean, I, I okay. just I, oh, go ahead, Jessica. Yeah. So it's challenging, right? So the first thing we do is we take the list of the stuff that we feel is committed. And the first part of that is anything that's in the transportation improvement program. So thinking about stuff that we have programmed, it's in a local city or county CIP. It's in their capital improvement plan, which means we're talking short term. We're talking five years at the most, you know, in terms of projects in there. And not even all of those have geometric improvements. So there may be a project, but its attributes of the project don't necessarily, if it's being reconstructed, it may not change anything in the model. So there's a limited, out of even that list, there's a limited number of things that impact things in the model. Hmm. Then I think the next thing is we say, we go to look at the state plan and we see what they've committed to, what they have on their radar in the in the programming, their Eisenhower transportation plan. And we say, okay, how many of these things are reasonable? Where are they going to happen? Are, are were they reasonably enough committed? And we make assumptions about that. The third thing then we do is we looked at the results of the model and we say, oh, 
Well, all this show, if we don't add any of the private development streets, right? If we don't add any of these streets that we're anticipating would be built with private development, the collectors that support the growth, then all you're gonna see here is just the higher level streets that they would feed onto blowing is just in red, right? They're gonna be failing capacity because there's not gonna be anywhere the trips connecting out of that traffic analysis zone. And so we took maybe because of that and some of the things we wanna see what's actually gonna to happen to that network to understand more about that area of the model. And if that's where there really is no transportation network because there's no, it's not even annexed in the city now, we went and added the first layer of a net, of a base network there so we can be able to make an assumption about if this development happens, we will at a minimum need this. We just had a conversation with Mark today that's, you know, we showed that first line of collectors, but should we go as far as showing the next line, which is an arterial line um, in there rather than the next county section road? And so we can do as much of that as we want to show to show how that trip making distributes on that network. It's a fine balance to try to figure out what your assumptions are going to be. And this we felt like was a happy medium place to be able to say, here's the stuff we think is gonna happen. Again, those are planning lines, right? Those roads aren't built yet. There's ease, you know, there's easements in some of those places, there's protections on the land. We made a line looking at a map based on our best guess, right? And that's what major thoroughfares is, and we use those lines. Could those change? Yes. Will that happen in the development process? Yes. So we're just trying to take a guess at. Where is enough detail that we can make assumptions about connections so we can be able to tell what's happening on the main part of the network without it just blowing up and not being useful to us? Because if you just put that density there with the population and employment, but without building any network, then it doesn't, the model doesn't give you as much information. Right. So it's like, it's like this art and science. And hopefully you can tell that as you're listening to Mark and I talk about the work that we've done and see the iterative nature of it is. We're, we're trying to continue to keep honing into assumptions and have people say to us, why is this, you know, every time we meet with somebody different and show different people on the staff team, this, it raises new questions and it allows us to hone in on some of those assumptions to see, does this need to be changed? Is that assumption right? This is what this is showing until we get to a place where we, where we feel like this is the best we can do based on our time and the process and the, and the work that we're doing. Great, thanks, that's super helpful. That was great. I, I don't take the paper, so I get little headlines and snippets of things. Did I see that all the bus lines are going to be free starting? Fair free, starting in 2023. And, and Mark okay. built his model. Okay, I, I wondered about that. Yeah. And I believe you said there was a 20% year of the model projects, a 20% increase in ridership. Oh, I should have put that one up there too. It takes yeah. it takes it out by individual route as well. But yeah, it's uh, you know, so much of the college, so much of the transit system is oriented to the college, and it really shows up in in this too when you take a look at it closely. But but that is uh, already fair free. Anybody who works on campus free. already for over a decade has already been not paying a direct fare because they pay a student fee. Okay. And so. So but, the rest impacts, of the system. but the rest of the system is it, and that it's reflected okay. in the model. Okay. Yeah. And the model is sensitive to those changes in fares, but it also, I, I only showed that one sort of flow chart of, of travel of passengers on the buses. But when you look at the number of boardings by route, 
uh, actually, and uh, as predicted by the model, it's really very close. Typically, you don't have these models don't always do that good a job on a, a root or stop level basis, but this one did terrifically. So yeah, it's pleased with that. And so it, about 20% increase, was that? Yeah, so there are some things that are gonna be interesting to see in regards to that um, because pre-COVID, the entire community had over 3 million rides a year on, on transit transit services. So that's paratransit human service providers are fixed route KU on wheels and Lawrence transit. And they're at like 1.2 million right now. And so they have never worked. And this is a national trend. This happened in a lot of places. There has not been the recovery most COVID for transit service. Secondly, we also know locally KU on wheels, their portion of the service, they've had to make some pretty significant cuts to frequency. And as soon as you do that, you lose a lot of choice riders and attractiveness. And I think we're seeing some of that. So the, the assumptions, I think a couple different things are going are gonna to happen, have to happen in relation to that. Fair free will probably change the conversation, the whole reroutes in terms of opening the new hub. I mean, there's a lot of things at play, I think, about around assumptions for transit as congestion increases overall, if gas prices change, you know what I mean, in terms of yeah. where, where student densities live in relationship to campus and how service mm -hmm. is there in terms of the new route structure, that all of those things are going to kind of come into play in relationship to how that succeeds or doesn't, I think, in the future, getting back to where it was pre-COVID. Well, I think it's great to have this guess, educated guess, as to what's going to happen. Without it, my goodness, then you're really lost. So I, th I thought that was great, even from somebody in Massachusetts. <laughs> um, and speaking of guesses, um, you know, we're at a, we're at a, a period where trying to project 25 years in the future, I'm curious if there are any um, you know, anticipated changes in technology that you think might affect the overall flow of traffic and the volume of traffic, things like automated vehicles, increased ride share services, things like that. Yeah, David, these are very, these are reasonable questions. And the other one too is just any sort of measures, regulatory or financial to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and then the other one too is, is it going to be virtual travel patterns? There are a lot of unknowns. Will people no longer travel to, will all shopping be done on Amazon? Will all visits be done by sending your avatar to a, a, a virtual chat room? Federal Highway Administration <laughs> takes the position that we don't know. Yeah. Therefore, with all these broad sort of more macro level questions, for the purpose of these models and for Federal Highway's perspective, you just have to go with what's there today. Sure. That's for what you present to Federal Highway Administration. However, the model is very sensitive to all these changes. You, there is a cost per mile for auto use, as you know, and there is a fare, which is fare free, uh, and uh, the full mode choice routine, and all these other characteristics, a number of trip generation rates, these might change. If the mm -hmm. retail no longer generates the same number of trips that it had in 2019 or earlier, um, you can test that. So from the local perspective or Douglas County or the MPO, you might want to use the model to go and figure out, well, what would a change in travel patterns be or this new technology? But at least from Federal Highway Administration's perspective, uh, and I guess from KDOT too, uh -huh. um, okay, give us what you got with the assumption that these big issues yeah. remain the same. Certainly.
Yeah, thanks. I mean, even even uh, a shift to to online shopping doesn't reduce the number of trips that need to be made. It just means they're going the opposite direction. Instead of distributed sources converging on shopping centers, you've basically got distribution centers uh, mm. spreading out their 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 trips to individual um, yeah. dwellings. So unless you consider drones. three-dimensional transportation it's going to be the jetsons cool well yeah i don't mean to be too speculative i was honestly curious right no it's it's valid yeah yeah i have a a question about the you mentioned early on about the multimodal aspect uh with bike pad where would we expect to see that in the in the model, I, I saw the transit, but I didn't see bike pad. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that question, you mentioned the the power of the model in terms of different scenarios in terms of facilities. Is that true of the bike pad network as well? Well, it, it can be. I mean, but the you know, I looked to see like where there was a distinct uh, you know not not grade separated bike path, but where there was a a dedicated bike path, and there was one in a section of Massachusetts, and then along the old rail line uh, up from Haskell towards uh, you know towards you know the water treatment plant or around up by the river. But it just I didn't actually put those, and then there are sidewalks all around in different spots too, but. I didn't feel that those were sufficient to really induce a lot of, of, of new travel on they were in many ways they were just they were sidewalks um, you know that I you know I wasn't sure that was going to make all that much of a difference so in a lot of that I didn't go and model uh, the model does have the mode choice it does break it out for walking and for a bicycle in addition to you know auto and transit but I, I didn't also have um, anything to validate it too, I didn't have actual counts uh, in a lot of places to say yes, this is this is right. So the share of trips that are removed for walking and for, and it, it actually works out. You know, I mean, it is very sensible. It is uh, taking. Uh, I used. I looked at at other. I looked up at, at uh, in Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska, where the University of Nebraska, and they had a, a mode choice routine. Uh, that they use. So I took some of their parameters uh, for transit or, or for bicycle and, and bicycle and, uh, and pedestrian for a, where there was a, a major university and to look at the trip generation rate or the, you know, the use of bicycles. So I took those information and I calibrated to that. It's when you don't have any particular local data, you got to calibrate to whatever you got. And so that seemed like the best thing I could use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's not shown here, but it is taken out, and I can it's, go. It and, is uh, in there. There's though. a separate matrix that shows that all those OD paths and can be assigned, mm-hmm. um, but it's it wasn't part of this presentation. But I, I, I does have it accessible. Thank you. I thought we had local data on. Well, we have rough local data that's based on six hours of observation for the most part for bike head counts per like annual average daily traffic projections. It's pretty rough. It's not to the level where we would feel like that there's enough of it and or it's been validated to a place that we would use it in this regard. 
And that and that's hard because the city does have bike head counters now, but the quantity of counts still that have been done and inventoried in a data set that's available to us is very little, just a none. Okay. Jessica, are you are you thinking that in like you know future updates of this plan that we may be in a position to better model those kinds of things and also as facilities get added to be able to um, you know do yes. something similar to what we yes. saw with the with the and, uh, high and I think that's a good facility. example. I mean, we really went big step by adding transit. I mean, we did an extensive amount of work on transit. That's the part we had really identified in. That's where we feel like we're going to get the biggest value. Um, in terms of some of the trip BMT reductions for particularly in relationship to the university. Um, and that's what we had written into the scope of the work. So the bike head stuff is just kind of like Mark's doing his due diligence to help us in that regard. But I think you're right. And the thing about that is, you know, besides really having, you know, the five-year bike head CIP, there's still a very low percentage of connected bikeways um, <laughs> that... There is some model in that regard for trip making. And so I absolutely think that. But I also think, you know, we haven't talked a lot about what we think besides, you know, there's only a few places where we feel like besides committed projects, we'll be identifying some stuff that other besides assumptions for roadway projects. And so what I take from the model when I look at it is the overall increasing failure of some of the arterial networks, right? As we increase density or we increase vehicle miles traveled, some of those roadways are all gonna start to increase some of their delay. And so what that's gonna mean in terms of the system is our ability to program for ITS, uh, intelligent transportation systems, mm -hmm. about fine tuning intersection operations and travel in those corridors. Um, maybe those, that's other intersection improvements. I think that lends itself very well to thinking about travel demand management and pushing our story about multimodal and uh, in that sort of trip in that sort of trip making. Um, one of the things I think will be interesting to see as we talk to Mark about an option that's a land use scenario in relationship to something more dense inside of the K10. That means you're also densifying. Uh, the percentage of households that have access to transit. And so we will be able to share some of those results in a way that tells a story, I think, that's very compelling the next time transit goes out for a sales tax renewal and or we're having conversations about land use where we can show some scenarios um, that are that can that can give us some data comparison to show what the reality of those different choices are in our community. And we're at the very beginning of that. And I think each time we do this, we will continue to make incremental steps to get better at that. Um, if we talk about like a full transit service level model, I mean, I could talk to some other communities who do transit modeling and they they have quarter of a million dollar transit models. That's just it, just for transit. And we're not even talking about that for all the modes. And so um, it, it just depends how much investment you need to make and how big your region is and how many, you know, what your capacity is to be able to do that work and use that in decision-making. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. I have a question and this may be too micro level for this type of planning, but um, I think some of the, and this is Lawrence, I think some of the real congestion happens around um, elementary and high schools when mm. people are being dropped off and, uh, and picked up after school. Um, and some of that I know as a school district, there's a rule that the, there's 
fairly long walks across some busy streets. But is there any way to look at that? And I know that will probably shift from the east side to the west if any more schools are closed. But is there any way to look at that issue and use of public transit? Or I know it's a personal decision too to drop kids off, but boy, some of the congestion around town for a very brief time is is pretty. That's, that's a really great question, Todd. And Mark has asked us that. What assumptions do we need to make about what's happening with public schools? And I'm like, I don't know. They're in the process, but I don't know that enough about what we could project is happening as part of that to be able to do that as a scenario. I feel like if we engage with them in that conversation and that was a reality of their process, then yes, absolutely, this tool could be help maybe in that decision-making or understand the implications of those decisions and the impact of that. The timing hasn't lined up for, I, I mean, that type of coordination that I don't, I don't know that has ever happened, but Mark, maybe you have something to say in regards uh, I mean, to I that. Can I can mention too that all the elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools are in the model. And that's just, not just the public schools, but there's a there's an academy out on Wakarusa. There's another one too. A couple of the private schools there as well. Yeah. Um, and I've got the enrollment in each of those, uh, so it models both the staff that's working there, as well as the function of the travel patterns of the students who were there. But it makes it it uses some assumptions there. It's also for each of those schools. I assumed that um, it was done sort of just that it wasn't done across town, that you had people were assigned to elementary school that was closest to where they were. Um, when you're down in like Baldwin City, it gets into a much broader county. So it may be that there was some, no, actually those guys go up to Lecompton. I didn't really, you know, or they, you know, how to break out the county there and maybe about the districts, it may not be quite precise. But then it's also, uh, and then there are some assumptions about how many of the high schoolers are taking the bus? How many of them are driving their own cars and parking? So these assumptions are in the model, but it was done, um, you know, with some general assumptions. And then it's also the the time, the arrival time and the departure time. So I'm not sure if all the schools in the county have the same arrival and departure times, you know, beginning of school and end of school for the students. But it's uh, it's in there with a, a you know, a, those factors are in there in the hourly model. Um, you know, when you break it down to an hourly number, it says that, okay, we're going to have 1,500 people going to, you know, Lawrence, uh, you know, Lawrence Free High School um, or whatever, you know, I'm just making up a number right now. But it says that, okay, and we have 72% of them show up between seven and eight or 16% between eight and nine. I, again, I'm just making it up. And then at between three and four, you have, you know, 71% go back. These are based on sort of um, small metropolitan area uh, parameters. So if there's some room to change those, we could do it. But again, it's still working with some averages and general generalizations over the course of that full hour. If it turns out that you know you have a particular crowd that shows up on one road and they all line up over here and they're blocking the intersection you know before it or the turnaround for the school buses, that's going to be a little bit more um, a little bit more micro level than cool. these types of general models can handle. Thank you.
Okay. If we have no more questions for Mark, we'll let you go. We have a few other things we just want to share with you on the agenda this evening in preparation for some of our next steps that we're working on. Nothing else for Mark? Yeah. Thanks, okay. Mark. Much appreciated. All right. Well, my pleasure. And again, you know, I'll be uh, continuing to work with uh, with Jessica and, and, and Kyle and others. So if there as more scenarios come up, we can just use them to test them with the model. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. See you later. Seems like 442 different areas. Yes, traffic analysis. Yeah. 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 My goodness, that just seems. Yeah. Well, the model's doing a lot of work. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a Herculean effort with, with, yeah. without this. My goodness. I mean, you can tell this, this is what Mark does. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is his expertise. Yeah. This is what he does. It's been really fun to get to work with him and hear all of his, his thought process about ideas and impact and data we need and all of this. Um, and it's been very different than the last time we did our model update too. So we've been very pleased with that. And um, hopefully we'll have some time to finalize some of the stuff that we just found out today and yesterday to be able to get some scenarios out because one of the other stuff we're going to show you quickly on the agenda. And how easy is it to change that? So the thing that you're going to find out tomorrow. Yeah. So, so I already got him started working on some of that based on rumor that we heard of what, of what's happening. And so he will have to go in and he's doing some research to shift and adjust some of those numbers that we put into those traffic analysis zones related to population. So he'll be subtracting some over here, adding it to distributing it in these areas based on zoning or conversation about how much zoning density might increase overall. Do you know what I mean? We're talking a week for him to change. Oh no, he'll do it tomorrow. Or day or no, he's going to have to do it tomorrow and okay. Friday. Like okay. we'll get out because I think the model takes like fifteen minutes to work. Oh. So once he does, it takes a little bit, probably an hour or two or three, you know, to do some of those things in the table that you put into the model. But then the model takes fifteen minutes to run. Yeah. Okay. So each of those things he's kind of yeah, each iteration he's talking Good. about running is all of these list of things change. Okay, here's now our next kind of update to figure that out. So. Um, he, he's, he's been very responsive for us. So I anticipate he promised me we'll have whatever we want to do in this assumption by Friday so we can get it posted for public comment. So I'm like, thank you. Great. Thank you. So, um, okay. So we have, that was the bulk of what we intended for our conversation. We have again put on here the boards. Almost all of this is stuff that you will have seen. Is there interest in looking at this? Let's open it because this is the content. The rest is really, um, I'm going to skim through it kind of quickly though, because um, we talked a little bit about, this is how we're going. So we're, our plan is to go back out to the public. We generally have a second phase of public engagement. This is the time we're presenting as much draft information as we can to them uh, in, a, in a sense. This is not the same level of engagement we get in the first phase of engagement. This will be five to 10% probably numbers wise in terms of, so if we had 700 responses before, we're talking 35 to 70 people responding at this point in the process. That's pretty typical. So okay. just to set our expectations. Um, this obviously isn't ideal. We're going to have start a public comment period on Monday and end it on the 23rd, right before Christmas. So two mm. weeks. That's gonna. That's important because that gives us time to look at that um, over the weeks between the holidays and have a final draft, a final draft of the plan. 
out on January 12th on the MPO Policy Board agenda for the MPO Policy Board to release for a 30-day public comment period, which is what we need to have happen before we can ask the TAC and the MPO Policy Board and you and this body in March to uh, consider adoption and recommend final recommendation. So we're, we got backed into a timeline that's pretty tight. And admittedly, that's not the most desirable thing that I would want. It is what it is. We're, we're going to do it. So um, this, this board's, um, we're going to do, we're planning for an, uh, one in-person open house and two, some virtual open houses. And then we will also have an online survey and we'll do some distribution press releases and social media content to make sure we can share that in the ways that we shared it before with our, with our stakeholder groups, with all of the people who signed up to say they wanted to be notified of the process, the hundreds of people on our email listservs, that sort of thing. This is probably less, we're doing less tabling. So this is going to be less people that have probably been, if, if they're commenting at this point, it's probably because they were already engaged in the earlier part of the process. There's probably very few people we'll be talking to that haven't been engaged in the process yet. It's possible we could. So we're telling them a little bit about what this is. We're sharing information about what we heard from the first part of the survey. And so at our in-person events too, we'll post links to the public engagement summaries um, so people can spend as much time with it, with it as they want, but we'll make sure we give them the most direct information they need to be able to respond to the things very specifically we're gonna ask in terms of questions. Here's the goals, objectives, and strategies formatted a little bit differently with the modifications based on the conversations we had at the last meeting. Um, and these look you know, really lovely. We're gonna share things from the existing conditions report at a really high system level. So pedestrian plan for Lawrence and the cities. Quick question plan. right there on Jay. Yes. Um, it looks to me like the symbols, the pie charts don't reflect the actual numbers. So you've got 42%. We probably do not anymore, we can fix that. Okay, great, oh, great. Good. Okay. Great. I, I think we updated tax on an old board, and I, so I think you're probably right. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. Uh, that's probably true for these two. Okay. Um, so we're sharing things about the existing plan, uh, level of comfort for the city model that we have. Here's, here's the transit ridership I was talking about earlier. Here's information mm. about headways. Um, here's existing transit service. Here's definitions of all of the street classifications so people can see what we're proposing in terms of major thoroughfares assumptions for street network and changes. That's this we talked about at a, our last meeting. Um, and then here's where we're going to add the stuff that we're working on with Mark around wherever we get to with our scenarios for population. There may be a couple employment and population scenarios here based on our current conversation. And then as some of those modeling results um, as we can present them um, and asking people to kind of respond to that in relationship to the existing projects list and where we're at. Um, that, it's a pretty high level survey in general. If you look at the survey link, we're asking people, do the goals and objectives meet the, what we heard, some of the what we heard to address the transportation needs? Um, or is there anything missing? Do you have comments on major thoroughfares? And is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the information that we've presented to you um, that we that we should consider. And then we have some demographic questions. But um, that's kind of what we have planned for this part of the project. And again, we will have another, the formal 30-day public comment period. Um, this is a lot of content though. I mean, we will be pasting, 
we will be putting out over 250 pages of content. But the, the benefit of that is we can put it out now as a draft. Some people may comment in this two-week period. We'll make the, some of those adjustments that we need to based on this. We'll finalize it and keep working through it. Um, and we've posted drafts earlier this time than we did than we ever have before for like the existing conditions and some of the public engagement summaries because we realize the end process is going to be a very short timeline. And so the sooner we can get some of those drafts out, it gives people a chance to look at most of the content where, you know, probably 75% at least of the content is not going to change in relationship to the work. Because like existing conditions, some of it's just, you know, like we're finalizing crash data or some of that stuff, but some of that stuff, it's, it's existing plans. So it's not intended to change before we adopt, adopt the final plan. The one thing I will point out is we, so this, this is the thing you maybe haven't seen, but it's based on the financial chapter we previously had given you. We kind of want to give the public an idea about what do different things cost as we talk about how much money we anticipate having in our region. At a high level, we wanted to show you this because I think this is going to speak to some of the changes that we've experienced. Um, that from T2040 and our projections based on that previous plan, we had a 2% investment level for non-motorized, so bicycle and pedestrian projects. These projections are based on a five-year historical numbers. And so we're looking at over the life of the plan based on all of those assumptions that we assume that we're at, um, based on the five-year historical numbers, we're at closer to a 6% investment for bike ped based on overall total value. And this does not include, um, this is only standalone bike projects. So this does not include if the roadway is reconstructed and a part of that is sidewalk or shared use path or something. That's, we don't have that called out on this high level of a regional plan. But this is also just kind of really informational as we talk about the future of transportation to show people what that means based on what we have done um, in the last five years um, to get where we need to go in terms of that. So any thoughts or questions about that? I kind of explained the draft survey. Um, I'm happy to hear what you may have to say about that. What is the timeline again, just roughly? Yeah, so um, the anticipated timeline we're planning on right now is the public comment period from December 12th through the 23rd. Mm -hmm. That would leave us basically from Christmas to January 12th to finalize the plan. So the rest of the summer, the rest of the public comment and get the remaining chapters written related to projects and uh, the strategies uh, section developed. Um, and we'll release on January 12th on, uh, to the MPO policy, to the to TAC um, in February and MPO policy board will have some times where we'll be releasing a draft plan asking for approval to release for a 30 day public comment period. So we'll be scheduling another meeting with this body to have another opportunity. I hope in there somewhere in a really tight timeline to get any final feedback you may have before that 30 day public comment period. Um, and then we'll have that out. We'll collect our comments um, and we'll have a very quick timeline before we have to get it on the March agenda cycles to collect that feedback, share it again with you, meet with you, get your final feedback, go to TAC and appeal policy board in March. Uh, this plan, in order to adopt this plan before the current plan expires, um, it needs to be adopted in March. And so the caveat to that, if we do not do that, is that it freezes all of the federal transportation funding in our region. So unlike many of the other things, we don't wanna be in that situation, that's why we're back into that kind of yeah. timeline. Um, and we we believe we can do that on schedule. Good. You always Thank have you. to bear with us if all the photos or all the format, you know, all the pretty stuff doesn't look exactly how we want it to.
I'll just say that now. <laughs> but we're going to do our best, and we feel we're you know we're we'll be working on it. Or I should say, I'll be working. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. The information that I learned a little earlier in the meeting says Paul might have his time taken up with something else, which would be what, Paul? Uh, a newborn. <laughs> in the oh on the 23rd, give or take a couple On the 23rd. <laughs> so, yes. That might become somewhat of a priority in your life. So he will get his time with his family and we will be here working. And then wow. that, that's the Royal we considering it's singular first person. <laughs> right. Yes. And no. <laughs> okay. I, I believe I'll have help. It's not going to be me by myself doing this. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that. Okay. The other things we've included on the agenda for your consideration is just the reference documents that we've continued to have. We had up updated for you mm -hmm. uh, chapter two drafts. So you've maybe seen some changes to that. It's air quality and electric vehicle stuff, content to that um, draft and our other summaries. And that's just for your, I'm going to keep giving you that. Um, so you have that. Um, so it's not all new content when you see the bulk of the plan. Those are the biggest portions probably of the plan quantity page wise. And so that should give you a really good indication um, where we're adding that besides the stuff we haven't added. Um, the other parts of the plan um, are less in terms of page volume. So you have probably seen most of the volume of the plan, although we're to the point now of you know some of the content walking through all that. So um, that's, that's where we'll be. And we will expect to um, talk to you likely um, in January. Super. If you're looking for things and you see anything between now and then, please feel free to email me. Um, but we will have a lot more eyes on stuff. So recognize stuff still. We just keep working through it. So Fantastic. I will say I was surprised that 9,800 people, the projection is 9,800 people are going to be added in the city of Lawrence and 20,000 and some in the unincorporated areas. Well, I think that other, that includes Eudora. So yeah. I think he has U Lawrence and then he has Douglas County, which is everything else except for Lawrence. Okay. So Eudora, I would say Baldwin it's, okay. and so it's Baldwin City, Lecompton, okay. Eudora, but the majority of that's Eudora. Yeah. So when we pull the final numbers, we will separate that okay. out. But he, he, Mark didn't do that. Okay. He's looking at the urban area of Lawrence, which is why we have the MPO and he's showing you that. And then he's showing you what else is outside okay. of that. Don't read too much into that yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because if you looked at those dots from the so second, and then I'll share the screen. So that we so if you look at that, do you see most of that's here? But if you look in the county, yeah. So right, right now these population. This would likely, if this happens, I would assume be annexed. It's in some growth tiers, right? And so right now, those num all of this that's outside of the existing city of Lawrence limits is being showed as is as in county. Okay. And we had that conversation with Mark. And, but what we need to do is, based on those assumptions, you need to go back and draw whatever we think the new 
lines lines would look like to run those queries and likewise all of this all of this mm -hmm. is right. in that douglas county number so i'm going to tell you if you look at these small these numbers and changes so this big circles five thousand representatives you know zero so it's like one you can tell they're if you think about the rural parts of the county that's not what for the most part that's not what we're looking at but we'll we'll make sure we okay. update that and be more specific about that but hopefully you can tell from this that's where that is do you know what i mean that's where those numbers are so. super great presentation i would say yes i like it very informative yes thank you yeah. there's so much in the model and so it's really hard to tell what level of detail to get into and so when he talks about those validation reports and the user you know user reports and all of our back end stuff we will still we will be trying to determine how do we tell the story that we're telling based on what the data says and showing that and i imagine we'll have a whole separate series of outputs that we may not even put into the plan besides like here's the couple scenarios like in a model user guide that would be in an appendices like for transit and some of that other stuff in terms of the overall mode split percentages around bike or pet or some of those things so right all right if there's nothing else i'll thank you for your time no, thank you good work thank you what happened to your finger thank you oh i cut it on a mandolin <laughs> honorable <laughs> way to cut it. it but i have a, a big bandaged oh. finger so. <laughs> Not the musical instrument, I think. It's you're talking about the Yeah, oh. I was talking about like the slicer. Oh well that, that's that's me every Thanksgiving. That's, oh, that's I was not Thanksgiving. Oh, I, don't know. Know. I, just, oh, I did too. My, my daughter my daughter grew her. Damn, what were you doing? Um, yeah. Anyway.